welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. We are continuing this strange message series that is um, the night series. Dre, can you take my mic down a little, just a tear? I feel like I'm going to blast out off of... Um, we're continuing this night series called Sunday Night Maxims, and last week we did this, the maxim of last week was, um, you should have chose discipline, right, exactly, that was, the, that was it was focused on discipline, and it was a, about a, a dream that God gave me where he asked me, if, whatever, if you haven't heard it, please listen to it, it was really encouraging for all of us undisciplined people, and uh, I was reading in Second Timothy and Titus, and seeing again the, the heart of Paul for the young leaders, Titus is a young leader and Timothy is a young leader, and to both of those leaders, Paul encourages them to walk in a disciplined lifestyle. And he basically says when you're young, you know, it's really hard to lock down discipline, so really you should work on it. Anyway, listen to that online, it's a good one. Uh, tonight we have a different maxim that I'm gonna talk about. And these are about, I have about 10 of these maxims and they're a maxim is, a, is a, a, ways, a phrase of wisdom, essentially, and, and they're phrases that have really impacted my whole life, the direction of my life, the development of my life, and they were given to God, by God, to me in very um, uh, significant seasons of my life, and this, this, this next maxim is based upon 2 Timothy 2.15. Again, this idea of, of Paul talking to Timothy and training the young man, the young leader, to say, hey, God's got a plan and a call for you, and there's things you have to do in order to perform his, the calling that he's placed on your life. In 2 Timothy 2.15, it says this. It says, study, Timothy, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed that you could rightly divide the word of truth. It's really interesting that it says, Study to show yourself approved. And you would think it would be, the next part would be, study to show yourself approved before men, is what you would think, right? Because when you're studying something, it's really to prove or to, to have an intellectual capacity or understanding about a certain uh, subject matter or area so that you're, 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 you show what you got before others. But this scripture says, study to show yourself approved unto God before God as a worker that doesn't need to be ashamed and the second half is before others that you would be able to rightly divide the word of truth that you can you can accurately understand and know the way of God and the contingency as related to this verse uh, let's say the, the first piece right here it says that it's a, it's a command from Paul to Timothy to, for Timothy to study right the, the, the assumption, if Paul is encouraging, or maybe correcting whatever word you want to use, edifying Timothy here, the, the, the negative injunction is that you may not be studying. <laughs> That's why I'm telling you, Timothy, to study, to show yourself approved unto God. It's one of the commandments that God gives to his peoples and expressly to his leaders, right? Not just listen or not just like come to hear a message, but you yourself are called by God to study, to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that would not be ashamed that you can rightly divide the word of truth. There's a lot to unpack here 
Um, but the maxim of the night is you are here because of the choices that you made. You are where you are in life right now, financially, because of the choices that you made. Okay? If you're broke, that's because of the choices you made. Okay, if you have no friends, that's because of the choices that you've made. If, you, if you're really desperate to be in a relationship and nobody wants to touch you with a 10-foot pole, that's because of the choices that you've made. Wow, that's really harsh, Pastor. <laughs> it's supposed to be harsh. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be harsh. <laughs> I remember the first time I heard this. I remember the first time I heard this and I actually believed it. I was, um, it wasn't until my later 20s and I was a youth pastor and I was blaming God because of the inefficiency of my organization, this youth group that I was running. Now, there was miracles, there was really cool God stuff that was happening, and then there was other things that were breaking down and not functioning well. And I remember really expressly this pastor preaching this message, you are where you are because of the choices you made. And I realized there are miracles and there are, there's God stuff because I love miracles and I love God stuff and I fast and pray and I chase after it and I read and I pursue it and then I pray hours about it and God comes through with the things I pursue. And then there was this whole other area which was the organizational element and people falling you know, through the cracks. I was doing nothing about, okay? I was doing nothing about and asking God why he wasn't fixing it. That would be, think about, I just want to understand the converse. That would be like somebody that's a master organizational person, administration person, having a killer organizational administration ministry with zero acts of the Holy Spirit, miracles, supernatural, and being really upset at God when he's never sought it, prayed for it, pursued it, fasted. The scripture says this in, in Matthew. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will. It doesn't say may. It doesn't say if you're like, if, you're the, if you have the right background. It doesn't say if your parents are rich. Okay, it doesn't say that. It says anyone at all in Christ Jesus our Lord uh, who's empowered by the Father God through the Holy Spirit, anyone that's asking God in his will, in his way, will receive, will guaranteed receive. I had, I had no friends in college. You may find that hard to believe. <laughs> this pastor said to me, he's like, David, I really think you should go to this Christian school. He was the pastor of this large church I worked at. And I was like, nah, I don't want to go to the school. I want to go to the secular school. And I'm getting my philosophy degree. And I like to hang out with secular people. And he was like, he knew I was socially awkward, a socially awkward human being. And he knew I needed to be around Christians that were nice. And I, you know, he, he just knew that in, that was the environment I should have been in. And I was just like, nah, not going to do it. And so I would go to college every day. And Portland State University 
in Portland, Oregon, is a, is a commuter school. It's in downtown Portland, but really in Portland, Oregon doesn't really have a lot of people that live downtown. Now, people, if they say they, lived in, they live in Portland, they don't live in downtown Portland because there's nobody that lives there. They all live in the outer kind of, it's still the city limits, but it's not the downtown area where the school is. And so basically everyone was commuting, or the, the vast majority, I would say 75% of the students commute in. And a lot of those kids from, they would, they would and, and, and from their local high schools, you know, like 20 of them from a high school A are all coming to Portland State at the same time, and high school B, blah, da, da. So they kind of have tiny built-in networks, and I'm coming in from living in upstate New York and knowing, knowing nobody and showing up, and I don't know how to talk to a stranger. I have this problem. I don't know how to talk to a stranger. I don't know what to do. I just... <laughs> You think I'm lying to you. I'm serious. I don't, ha I don't know how to talk to strangers at this time in my life. I freeze up. I'm like, brush my hair or something like that. <laughs> I had glorious hair back then. And um, I, if only if it was like the perfect situation and I was in a really good mood would I say hello to a person trying to talk to me. Other than that, I would just ignore them or grunt or something like that. And there's a super talkative kind of jock guy, super nice guy, big workout dude. And he took a liking to me, and he just wouldn't leave me alone. And so we became friends. He was my only friend, I'm not kidding, literally the only friend that I had in two years of being on that college campus. And you're like, what's wrong with you? The scripture says in Proverbs, a friend shows himself friendly. And if you don't show yourself friendly, you won't have any friends. That's how that works. And because I showed myself jerky, if that's a word, I had no friends. And I used to think it was the problem of Portland State University. I, I'm, I'm not kidding. I was so stupid. I was so naive. I was so shallow in my understanding. I thought it was the school's problem. I thought it was the problem of the region. I thought maybe it was the Northwest's problem. I, th I thought maybe because I was from uh, New York State and my parents were New Yorkers and my, you know, we had this kind of tough guy thing and, I'm, and I thought that was the issue. I didn't realize that it was all of my fault. Can you imagine, I was working at a church at the time and obviously I was working at a church, I was working at the church as a worship leader and um, you basically don't have to talk to anybody. You know I mean? You have to talk to the worship team, but that's about it. I don't, you don't have to talk to anybody else. You can hide out after and before service and then disappear into some little hole. I was extremely introverted, and I learned through, which we'll get to this in a little bit, that you can actually do something called developing your personality. It's magical. It's a magical thing. God didn't make you a fire hydrant. You're not a piece of metal that's immovable and unshapeable. He didn't make you like that. You didn't come out of the womb some kind of person that's unable to be changed. You didn't come out and say, yo, I'm Italian, so we always have problem with women. <laughs> no, wrong. That's, that's not how the kingdom of God works. It doesn't matter how you came out in the womb. It doesn't matter how you think you were created. It doesn't matter how your family interacted with the world around you. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, if we will submit to his will and his way, we can change. 
We are not inanimate objects. And so this guy was saying, you were here because of the choices that you make. And I kind of like, it was stung me that moment, that scripture, that the pastor, he said that, it stung me. And um, there's nuance, obviously. There's nuance, obviously, to all the word of God. You know, there's nuance in God's word. But the primary drive of that statement is perfectly true. So we moved to New York City. I'm like, I'm going to start a law practice. And um, because I had leaned into the miraculous, because I knew what it was like to hear the voice of God, I knew what it was like to have incredible dreams, I, 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 I developed, by the, by the grace of God and the passion that he put in my heart, I intentionally developed the gifts of the Spirit where I could get a prophetic word for someone, where, where 50 out of 50% 50 people would get healed when we prayed for them for healing, where I would get visions for people and they would have demons cast out of them. And I was like, I was cranking, I was getting A's on all those areas of life. And so when I came to New York City, I was like, all right, I'm going to start my prayer. I'm going to start my law practice, and I'm going to just pray, and the Lord's going to give me the best business deals that ever were. They're just going to, they're going to come into my, I'm going to pray them in, and then they're going to just line up in the morning. I'll, wait, I'll open the door, and they'll all be like, can you sue someone for me, please? <laughs> I, th I mean, I didn't know how it was going to happen, but I assumed that it was going to be mystical. I assumed that it was going to be charismatic. I assumed it was going to be... Um, the wonder-working power. Wonder-working power. Um, does anyone know that song other than me? Okay, good. Amen, amen, amen. Going to heaven. <laughs> Bethany and I, Bethany and I, we're, um, we're in that season, and I'm like trying to figure out how to create a business plan. I'm just praying. I'm praying and fasting a, a lot. Uh, and we started singing this song together, and the song we sang had this tag in it, and it, the tag was, some mountains will melt before you, some mountains will climb with you. And that's correct. In the word of God, in the path of God, in the way of God, Sometimes God does the miraculous and the, melt, the mountains melt like wax before him, before him, so you're with him. Other mountains, he doesn't want to melt. Other mountains, he wants you to climb so you develop you in Christ Jesus our Lord. Some mountains, he intentionally does not melt because he wants your calves to not look like chicken legs in the spirit in Jesus' name. He wants you to go through the pain, the burning legs of climbing the mountain with Jesus Christ, our Lord, and he will walk with you, but it will be challenging and it will be hard because nothing valuable comes for free and cheap and easy. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that <clears throat> in the kingdom of heaven or anywhere else on earth. And so I'm trying to figure out how to have a business and I'm losing and I can't get any clients. I got like... I think I got one trademark client. I tricked a guy. I got one client, a few hundred bucks. Um, I did, like, this one guy wanted me to research, like, a reflective jacket that glowed in the dark and could get trademark registration for a glow in the dark. It didn't work. It was a failure, and I charged him, like, 400 bucks. I'm like, no, this is not going to work. 
may I have $400? I was like, this is not a successful business model. This is not gonna, this is not gonna go far here. <coughs> I was in February of, of um, a, a number of years ago, after, right after starting the law practice, and I had such chaotic, uh, demonic assault uh, against my mind. And I was hearing every day for a number of weeks um, these voices in my head that said, you've failed everything you've done. You can't figure out how to start a law practice because you're a failure. You, God sent you out of ministry because you're a failure. You didn't get a great job out of law school because you're a failure. Everything you do is a you're a failure at, and you, you're, it would be better for your family if you didn't live anymore. It would be, you know that's true. Like, like let's walk through the track record, and you're, t like, you're talking about a lawyer, like a lawyer mind, or who just trained to be a lawyer mind, and like you're setting up, like the enemy is setting up this perfect argument, and at the end of the argument, he's saying over and over, and it would be better for you not to live, and you know that's true. You know that's right. It would be better for your wife and for your kids, and I was for, for weeks, walking around with this voice in my head saying, you should really end your life right now. And I didn't, I, I don't mean that it was my voice. I don't, I don't mean that I ever agreed with that voice because you can, you can be tormented by the enemy and you can agree with the enemy. And those are two very different things, right? Jesus was tempting, uh, the devil was tempting Jesus in the, in the wilderness in his weakest position, but Jesus would not agree with the lies of the enemy, right? So the enemy can be lying to you, but you have to not agree with those lies. And, um, and so I um, was at walking down Fifth Avenue in February, and it was snowing, and it was cold, and I almost fell to the sidewalk. I was weeping on the sidewalk right across from um, the New York Public Library on 40th, between 40th and 41st Street. And I just was like, I'm broke. I can't afford anything. I'm like, this whole thing is a disaster. I don't have the time to help tell you the whole story. But the next morning, I was walking from my place in New Jersey at the time to the bus sta station to get to this temporary job I had in Manhattan. And the Lord said to me, he said, um, he said to me, if you'll allow me to do a work inside of you and develop wisdom uh, and business acumen and understanding, and, and, and literally the ability to uh, with character and insight, if you'll allow me to do this work of, of teaching you, I will be able to deposit a reward inside of you that has eternal returns. You'll have the financial wherewithal to take care of your family and be a blessing, and you'll be able to be a steward of heavenly resources, but this doesn't come by charismatic experience. It comes by learning with Jesus by literally pouring yourself into the area where you are deficient. And he said, David, if you will do that, I will bless you. And in the next six months, I read 50 books on business. I knew it was the voice of God. I knew he was, he was giving me a moment of deliverance. I knew I had a massive deficiency in my soul as related to running my small business. And I, I, I went crazy in a good way. <laughs> and I read, I, I listed, 25 of the books here. I don't really feel like reading them, but every, if you look at if you look at every every top 50 business books in the country um, on any list online, I read those. I read all of those books. I listened to them online while I was on the bus. I read them um, on my job whenever I had a second, and I was working this legal job that I could kind of like read a chap, like, like read a paragraph and do some work, and then read a paragraph. And I, at the end of that six-month period. 
after I had kind of gotten to the place where I felt like the Lord was like, okay, you've, you've, you've poured in, you've asked and received, you've seeked and found, you've knocked and the door's been opened. And six months later, I, I was fasting and prayer, praying because I believe in both working hard and studying to show yourself approved, and I believe in the hand of God. And I said, God, will you break through and give me some work? I think I'm ready for it. Fasted for seven, seven days on the eighth day, I got a call the next morning, and the gentleman said, I have a $50 million case in the, uh, in the second appellate department here in Manhattan. It's over here in, um, uh, by Flatiron. $50 million in controversy in oil and gas. It's at the appellate level. Will you take this case? And I had, it was a guy in law school that said, I knew Engelhardt. He was a very smart guy, and he, you can trust him with this case. And that's how, literally that, that, that day after I'd finished fasting the next day the Lord opened up that case for me and then from that point my practice began to grow slowly but surely until it's now too much for me at this point it's we've I have so much work I discovered something incredibly important in my area of deficiency I didn't know anything it sounds it sounds so elementary doesn't it does it sound so elementary? The area of deficiency in my life, I literally did not know anything. And so one of the things I did after reading a bazillion books on this, uh, one of the things that I did was I got a business mentor, and he's a gentleman that makes a half a million dollars a day here in New York City. And I said to him after I had kind of been going a little bit, I said, what's the secret to have business success in, in uh, for, for you, how, what can you pass on? He said, David, this is, the six, this is the secret of success. He's like, you go to your desk in the morning and you look at what you have to do and you do that work that's in front of you like you're doing it for the President of the United States of America. He said, most people are doing that job so they can get out, so they can be done, so they can avoid their annoying boss, so they can move on to another project, or if you're in a union, doing it as slowly as you possibly can do it, <laughs> not <laughs> to wait for the other job is stacked up behind you. And he said, the, the secret in the kingdom of heaven for the Lord to bring blessing is that if you will do the job that you have before you to the best of your possible ability. And he's like, and the issue is, David, you may not have the knowledge base to do that to the best of your possible ability, so you may need to study to learn how to do that to the best. He gave me like $10,000 of work that month, and I took those contracts that he gave me, and I did them so well that, his, that the people that are over the contract department of his company said, we've never received contracts that were this well negotiated before. I realized that I was not uh, determined to some express destiny based upon the circumstances around me. But that God, if I submitted myself to his will and his way, could take me anywhere and do anything with me. <clears throat> I said that you're not a fire hydrant earlier, and what I meant by that is, in, per in part, I meant that you're changeable, right? You're malleable, you're, you're, you're bendable, you're shapeable by the hand of God, by partnering with the hand of God. But also what I meant by that is you're not stuck in one place. 
Like, you literally can get up from here and pack your bags tonight and move to Fiji if you want to. Tickets are like $3.49. I just looked. I looked while I was studying. I was practicing. Going with this message. You literally, tomorrow, could pack your bags and leave and go anywhere and move from New York City and do anything you want with your entire life. You could do that. You're not a fire hydrant. You are not stuck in life. You are not, you are not predetermined to be stuck at a dead-end job for the rest of your life because that's just your lot in life. That's not the kingdom of God. That's another kingdom. This is not some kind of feudal society that you're stuck working for a really mean lord right now. Now, in some countries, you are stuck. In some countries, they're, they're not America. In North Korea, you are stuck. You can't get out. But in this place where we live, you are not stuck. You are not a fire hydrant. I was thinking about this with spiritual development and people that, are, that struggle with the same repetitious sins over and over again. Just think like, did you read a book about it? Because there's a thousand books about it. Did you go to a conference on it? Because there's 10 conferences each quarter on your marriage, on your family, on your finances, on sexual healing, on deliverance. I was looking at Bethel Church, which I love to go there. I don't agree with everything they have to say, but I love them dearly. And I was looking, they have like 10 conferences in the next five weeks, of course. They have conferences coming out of the wazoo. They have lots of conferences. October, we have our friends in Life Center. They have an amazing worship conference. If you're, if you're feeling dry, it's not God's fault. This is what happens in, in, in homeschooling. Bethany wrote a paper on homeschooling that she read to me the other day for our kids are all homeschooled. She said, homeschooling teaches you how to learn. It just doesn't teach you about stuff. Like, here, uh, Sincere, let me teach you the facts about the making of this device here. You're going to know all about the kind of metal ore they use and the, and the molds and the plastic molds and then how they ship it from China and they overcharge you on Amazon.com. And you can learn all of those facts and have them memorized and tell everybody about this device. But if you don't learn how to learn, you're, you're, you're going to be still a dummy. But if you learn how to learn, you can learn how to learn about anything in the whole world. And you can learn how to learn about your family or your finances or your business or your art that God gave you or the gifting that he gave you or how to bring that gifting to the world. You can learn. Uh, there was a guy, one of the guys I listened to during that six-month period, he said, if you're, if you're in the church, if you're a member of the church, which you should be, you should be there, you should be learning, you should be intending to teach. He said, because the reciprocal process of learning and teaching is what keeps us alive. And that's why we're all supposed to go and make disciples, not just be, you know, eaters and, and consumers and giant diabetic Christians, but we're supposed to be giving and having new believers on our teeth, if, if you know, and spiritually, amen in Jesus' name. The knife went in. This is one of my favorite chapters, one of my favorite books that's ever written, and, and the, 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 it's titled, The Knife Went In. And I'm going to read from Genesis 3, 12, and 13, and then I'll, I'll, I'll read you a portion of this book. It says this, then the man said, the woman you have given me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the, serv the serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, the first time there's sin and there's brokenness in the world, and God comes to Adam and Eve, and he's like, what the heck's going on? He comes to Adam first. Adam doesn't say, it's my fault. You got me. Hands up. You, you got me. Shoot. 
He said, it's, it's not, my situation is not my fault. Sin tells us that our situation is primarily the fault of another. The lie from the serpent is that what you did is really someone else's fault. And the crazy thing about God, because justice is complex, is God does judge the serpent. He doesn't just judge Adam and judge Eve. Everybody gets spanked. But Adam, even though he tries to place the blame on someone else, he gets punishment by God for his acts. Whether or not Eve was deceived, whether or not Eve coerced him, he is still judged. Genesis 3, 17, And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and eaten of the tree which I commanded thee, Cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. You know, in work life, a lot of times people just hate their life and hate their job. And a lot of people still live under the curse, which is the Adamic curse, which for them, their life feels like every day is thorns and thistles. Do you know... That is not life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That life in Christ Jesus is not reproducing thorns and thistles from the ground. But please understand that life in Christ must be appropriated. You don't just say a prayer and get it. You have to seek it. You have to pursue it. You say, God, teach me how my work can be like a garden and not like a dry and dusty desert. And if you seek, you'll find. Let me read you this. It says this in this article from the City Journal. If you don't read the City Journal and you're a, 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 a smart young whippersnapper, I highly recommend it. It comes from our New York City, and it is very, very good analytical thought about current events. This is from 1994, this piece in the City Journal. It's, he said this, in the, in the past few weeks, a peculiar and distinctive psychology has emerged in England. Gone are the civility and sturdy independence, the ad admirable stoicism that carried the English through the war years. It has been replaced by a constant whine of excuses. It was Eve's fault. She made me do it. It's my parents' fault. It's my culture's fault. It's someone else's fault. It's the black man's fault. It's the white man's fault. It's the yellow man's fault. It's the financial system's fault. It's Wall Street's fault. It's someone else's fault. It has been replaced with a constant whine of excuses, complaint, and special pleading. The collapse of, of our national character has been swift and complete, as complete as the collapse of British power itself. And if you don't get this, this guy is from London. He's practicing psychology in London in the 80s and 90s. Listening as I do every day to the accounts of people who, that, uh, that they give of their lives, I am struck by the very small part in them which ascribes to their own efforts, choices, and actions. Implicitly, they disagree with Lord Acton's famous, excuse me, Bacon's famous uh, dictum. Chiefly, the mold of a man's fortune is his own hands. Instead, they experience themselves as putty to the hands of fate. And people in our world 
believe that they're putty to the hands of fate, that there is a dark deterministic materialism that started with evolution and that there was some Newtonian banging that happened. The banging created a larger bang. That bang created some ooze moving. That ooze moving created a bat rat creature. That bat rat creature turned into a monkey bat. That monkey bat turned into us. And we're just literally moving along a chain of determinism. And it's not my fault. I am a biological mechanism that's moving through time and space. I cannot be blamed for it. And Lord Acton, or Daryl Rimple says, this is the primary ideology of the underclass of the criminal underclass that he worked with every day. The funny thing about Daryl Rimple is that the criminal underclass in the United Kingdom was primarily white. And so it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, contrast because the ideas of hell apply the same to all peoples at all times and decimate people in the same kind of way. That's one of the things that drives me crazy about our myopia, our cultural myopia, that we're, we fail to look at other cultures and other places. That's why I like Daryl Rimpel. This guy that stabbed somebody, he said, uh, he was telling Daryl Rimpel, he's like, the knife, it just went in. He's like, I don't, he's like, the knife went in, I just like, I couldn't do anything about it. The knife, like, it just hopped into my hand and just like went into this guy. I'm like, I wish. The prisoner said uh, on the, in the initial part of the conversation, he's like, this is just my luck. Like, this is just my luck that I would be here in prison with you, the psychologist. And the psychologist are like, what do you mean your luck? This is the 12th time you've been here. This is 12 times in a row that you've been arrested for violent crime. What do you mean your luck? This is not your luck. This is your actions that led you to stab someone. And now you're here in prison. And people are like, well, it's, I was talking to a buddy yesterday that I want to bang over the head with this thing right here. He's like, David, do you know the primary issue in the world is poverty? And I said, no, the primary issue in the world is sin. It is not poverty, it is sin. You don't sin more because you're poor. Do you not know that, that Hitler was massively wealthy and sinned way more? And murdered millions of people? Do you not get that? No, 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 David. We need economic readjustment, and then people will all be nice finally. No, they won't. Sin doesn't go away without repentance and Jesus. The other prisoner comes in. He's like, he's like, doctor, I'm super depressed. <laughs> I'm so depressed. Like, depression took me. And the shrink is like, why? And he's like, because I just, I got caught, and I'm in jail because I keep stealing from churches. <laughs> and the doctor's like, why? He's like, why churches? I mean, did you get molested as a child? Was some horrific act happened to you? And this is what he literally says. He's like, I blame the churches and those are the authorities of their churches for the weakness of their security system, which caused me, which caused me to steal and has reinforced my compulsion with stealing. I, I hold them accountable <laughs> because they didn't have a machine gun attached to the church to, <laughs> to blow up people trying to steal the candelabra.
prisoner, third prisoner, why do I keep stealing VCRs? What is making me do this? Will you, will you please analyze me? He says to the psych psychologist. The shrink says, no, I will not. He said, but something's making me do this. And the shrink says, how about your laziness, your greed, and your thirst for excitement? How about those things? And the prisoner says, what about my childhood? <laughs> Genius, that's what I would have said. I would have said that. The shrink says, nothing to do with it. He said, he, he said the prisoner looked at me as if I'd been assaulted, as, as if I had assaulted him physically. When I said it has nothing to do with this, your laziness, your greed, and your thirst for excitement, ex excitement that's the primary driver. He says this, he says, of course I know this is more, a more, much more nuanced issue. Of course I know there are much more complex and competing elements in the subconscious of a human being. Of course I know there are cultural issues at play, but of course I know that the primary driver is the acts of the man himself. And when we stand before God in heaven, he will not say, oh, all of you guys, you know, it was, it was tough, so you all get to go and come to heaven. It's totally fine. Don't worry about your sins. 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive his due for the things done in the body, whether good or whether bad. Romans 1.19. Since what we may know about God is plain, because the, God has made it plain to them, for since creation of the world, God's qualities, his power, his natures have been clear. And, and, and they're understood by all men from what has been made so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And all they, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. I learned... Um, Moving to New York City, I learned to have to get a client, you have to be nice to people. <laughs> I learned you have to talk to human beings. <laughs> I learned you have to say hi to people, strangers even, strangers even, believe it or not. I learned that you had to be able to walk up to a complete stranger and say, hey, I'm David, what's your name? And I was terrified to do that. You say, no, you weren't. You're like 290 pounds of flub. You're fine. I was terrified to talk to strangers. I don't know why. There's a whole host of reasons. It doesn't matter why. It doesn't matter if I grew up in a community where we didn't talk to strangers. It doesn't matter if I didn't, whatever. What mattered is that I wasn't doing what I needed to do in order to achieve success in this area. And we have a world right now that we live in, in the United States of America, in 2021, where we have an internet, we have access to more knowledge about spirituality, about faith in Christ Jesus, the historical great ones like Wesley and Finney and Knox and all of these incredible believers, and we're still struggling with baby issues in our faith. 
And um, the answer is findable if you seek it and find it. And it's not hard to find. The doing is hard. Like, when I, once, I, once I got the answers and I figured out how to do it, the doing was very hard. Please don't misunderstand me. In order for me to go into, like, a group of 30 strangers at a meet and greet and, and try to talk to, like, what would happen is I would, the first person I talked to, because I was so scared to talk to anybody else, I was, like, I, I was hugging them for the rest of the whole night. You are my best friend now forever. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. And then it took a while to be able to learn how to develop this area of relationship and, and my, myself. Bef between services, I would preach two services or however many services we had as we were growing back in my home church. And between services, I would go hide in my office. I wasn't hiding because I was cool. I wasn't like going into the green room. We didn't have a green room. I had an office and I was hiding out because I didn't want to talk to people. I didn't know how to talk to people. I felt awkward talking to human beings. And I read some books. I read a book called How to Win, Make Friends and Influence People. Has anyone heard of that, heard of that book by Dale Carnegie? Right? I read a bunch of books like that. And I learned that you can overcome your fears and God can give you the opportunity and if you seek, you'll find. If you knock, the door will be opened. If you ask, you'll receive. And that I, where I was standing at that stage of my life, which was at the time, as the Lord was teaching me this, was broke with very few friends, that the Lord taught me how to develop my business, develop myself, and be super friendly. And now I have way too many friends. <laughs> I want to read you this scripture that's super important, and uh, Bethany, you can come up if you want to. Deuteronomy 30, it says this. It says, for this commandment I give to you today, it is not too difficult. It's not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It's not in heaven that you need to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it from us, to proclaim it, that we may obey it. The answer is not beyond the sea that you should need to ask who will cross the sea to get it for us and proclaim it, that we may obey it, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I have set before you today life and goodness as well as death and disaster. For I am commanding you today to love the Lord your God and to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and ordinances so that you may live and increase and the Lord your God may bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. You know, the, the Lord has lands for us as his sons and daughters to possess. He has places for us to take dominance and take dominion. He didn't just have us here to kind of you know, go through life, be nice to a couple of people, say a prayer every once in a while, but it's God's desire that we would possess land, that the kingdom of heaven would come on earth as it is in heaven. It's the central prayer that Jesus has us pray in Luke chapter 11. And I want you to know that whether you decide to take God up on this offer tonight, to ask, seek, and find, he will love you the same. God will love you exactly the same. He'll love you in Jesus Christ, through the blood of Jesus, he'll accept you into the fold. But there is a place for those of us who say, God, I know you have a possession for me in this land. Will you please grow me to that place? If you will take God up on that offer, he's game. 
And, it, and it's a funny thing. People always ask me what are the books I read after I, I've shared this message a couple of times. And I always say it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the books I read. Because the process was not about the books I read. The process was about asking, seeking, and knocking is what it was about. Because for me, in that season of life, it was God called me to plant a church and start a business. That's what he had called me to do. And so these are the things. I knew church life already. I didn't know this other life. So this is where I needed to grow. For some of you, it has nothing to do with business. Some of you, it has to do with relationships. Some of you, it has to do with your personal finance. Some of you, it may have to do with bondage that you have in your life, whether it's sin or whatever it is. Maybe it's family chaos. God has the answer. It's not too far off. It's not impossible to find, but it's taking him up on asking and seeking and knocking, and the door will be open. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.